So our gifts this, week, this year is really going to be focused to our community. Um, and uh, this might be a year that we as a church could pull together and pull in and look at our own needs, but we just feel like we really need to continue to reach out to our community. And we've always, been a, we've always wanted to be a church that has a positive influence in our community, that loves our community and gives us an opportunity to speak about the gospel. And sometimes you just have to, you have to put your money where your mouth is and you say, okay, so how invested are you? And so this is why we do these, uh, these things, because we feel we're called by scripture, but also it, it allows us to have a voice in the community uh, of the truth. And uh, we've had doors open for us because we've participated in things along these lines. So these, these three are tied really to this community. Uh, so I hope you'll, 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 you'll join us as we uh, reach out as a church and love our community. So this weekend, what we want to talk about is relationships, because we all have them. <laughs> We're all doing somewhat good or bad in those relationships, right? And uh, some are, are like this, and some are like this, right? And they're difficult. Relationships are difficult. So the way, the way I think about it is this, that most of us in high school or college have had science classes. And with a science class like physics or electronics or chemistry, you'll have a lecture and the professor will lay down certain electronic principles or chemical principles or physical you know, laws. And you'll basically learn those laws and then you'll have a lab period. And the lab period is where you do experiments and you, you uh, carry out the, the lecture and you learn uh, the principles by doing not just by hearing. And so there's that whole lecture lab, right? You, you've had classes like that. You know what I'm talking about. In the same way, in Scripture, there's, there's a point where the Bible tells us what we should know. This is what you should know, right? And then the Bible jumps into, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. So what you should know is the lecture. What you should do is the lab. And so uh, the book of Ephesians is very interesting. In the first three chapters, it's all about this is what you should know. This is what you should know. You should know this. Paul says you should know this. You should know this. You should know this. And he goes on and on and on. And so, you know, just l let me review just for a minute. In verses 3 through 14, the first 14 verses, he basically says you've been chosen by the Father. You've been redeemed by the Son. You've been uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit. You should know this. In chapter 1, verse 15 and on, he says, uh, he prays that they would know the hope of their calling and inheritance. Paul says, I want you to know the hope that God gives you. You should know about this. In chapter 2, he talks about the gospel, and he says, the gospel that is, is by grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And you were created not just to be a whole-hum person, but God's masterpiece. You should know this. This is something you should know. In chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter 3, he basically says, I want to reveal a mystery, something that's never been known before up until now. It's not something we have to try to figure out or discover or be detectives about. God is going to reveal something that we would have never come to, we would have never discovered. And what is the mystery? That Jews and Gentiles will be part of this new thing he calls his new community, his church. 
The outsiders are now insiders. The overlooked are now brought in. Those who were excluded and on the edge of the camp are now part of the camp. It was a transformational change in human history because God basically said through this that nobody is excluded. It doesn't matter where you were born and what tribe you are part of and what nation you are part of. The gospel is for you, for all men and all women, all people. And then in chapter 3, verse 20, 12 through 21, Paul prays that we would just get a grip on God's love for us. That one of the biggest issues and the problems we have in life is we don't understand how loved we are by God. So this is all chapters 1 through 3. And essentially what Paul's doing in Ephesians 1 through 3 is he's saying, this is what you should know. But today we, we, we move into chapter 4 and it's the lab. <laughs> And, and the lab is kind of, okay, so because you know what's going on in chapters 1 through 3, this is what you should do. You, see, you may say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Well, it's very interesting because, okay, we're going to do a little, some of you are going to groan here. We're going to do a little English, you know, grammar thing here. So just bear with me because I think it's important. The English language has a number of moods. We have the... the uh, indicative mood which is just a statement of fact you know it's just it's fact this is what and that's what most of chapters one through three it's indicative mood and then there's the, the another mood and you've heard about it the imperative mood this is this is a you know, all right let me give you an illustration so you're a parent and you say johnny your toys are all over the floor okay that's a statement right that doesn't the, Johnny, your, your toys are all over the floor. Then we go to imperative. Johnny, pick up your toys, okay? Now we've moved from the imperative to, you know, or from the indicative to the imperative. The, the, the first one was just a statement of fact. The second one was, you need to do something about that. All right, so chapters four through six is Paul saying, because you know all of this, you need to do something about it. And so let me give you, let me just show you this. There's one imperative, one imperative in chapters one through three, or excuse me, one indicative. Or, no, I was right the first time. One imperative. There's one command in chapter. You know how many there are in chapters four through six? Forty. So you see the shift here. Paul's going from telling us what we should know to what you should do. That's what's going on here. So let's jump into the passage it's Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm just going to read the first uh, few ver yeah, six verses, I think. So you can follow along with me. Paul writes these words. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with each one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all so there's our passage so we want to talk about how do we make our relationships healthier now here's the problem with relationships relationships are messy aren't they they're troublesome they're difficult they they take a lot of work 
And you can't just read a book. It would be nice if you could just read a book about it and just move on. And then automatically, after reading that book, you are better at relationships. It doesn't work. I haven't found it works that way. Now, I've read a number of books on relationships. But I haven't found that when I get done with the book, I'm immediately much better. And Carol goes, man, you're so much better in relationships. What, did you read a book? <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. I wish it would. And here's what I've learned. You can listen to sermons and you can read books about forgiveness, but sooner or later you're going to have to forgive somebody who does something and says something. Right? You can, you can learn the three key steps in how to be patient, but then you have to learn patience when somebody is testing you. <laughs> testing your patience. Right? You can read the book of James and, and say how James says you need, to, you need to watch your tongue because it can do so much damage and, and it can hurt so many people. and It's, a, it's, a, it's set on fire by hell. You've got to be really careful about it. But then there's just a time where you just need to bite your tongue. You having trouble biting your tongue lately? That's the lab. <laughs> That's the lab. It's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to do what you know you should do, right? See, and here's the other part of it. You can't grow in a vacuum. You can't grow just by yourself. The only way you're going to grow in relationships is in relationships with people. And, 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 and this happens only when we're part of a community. Because you don't have to forgive if you're not with other people. You don't have to bite your tongue if you're, you know, unless you're talking to yourself and you're offended, you're offended yourself. But I mean, essentially... You know, the bottom line is this all takes place in community. And, and if you want to, if you think you're a mature Christian and you're kind of just this Christian out there doing your own thing and you're not connected at all to community, you're lying to yourself. The Bible says you can't be a mature, growing Christian unless you're part of community. Why do you think the New Testament says love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another? Bear one another's burdens. How do you do that if you're not part of community? This is what I've seen so much as a pastor lately. This American individualism that says, I don't need anyone other than Jesus and me. And I go, well, you need one thing. You need to read the Bible because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God puts you in a body of believers. That you're part of something bigger than yourself. That you have to work through differences and disagreements. But you have to do it in a, in a way that's not disagreeable. And that's hard to do. You can't just walk away all the time. You can't always say, well, I'm right and they're wrong. There has to be a point where you say, no, what, 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 what do I have to learn through all of this? So that's kind of where we're going to go this weekend. So he gives us in our passage... Three things that I think will help us improve our relationships. The first one is that we need to be humble. That we need to be humble. And, you know, humility is not uh, a, having a low view of yourself. Some people say, uh, you know, uh, people that uh, beat themselves, oh, I'm not a very good person, I'm not very smart, I'm not very bright, I'm not very good. And he's, what a humble person. No, that's a kind of a person that has a low self-image. That's not humility. Sometimes people have a low self-image and all you ever hear is you know how bad of a person they are and they do that to to attract attention that's not humility humility is simply putting the needs of others first and i, I think that's important you know uh, I, I didn't come up with this and i think it's 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 it came from a long time ago but i think it's really helpful 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You see that, that it's just, a, it's just, a, it's just a, a little tweak, but it makes all the difference in the world. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Look at this. A couple things about humility. Yeah, humility understands that we don't generally see ourselves accurately. Humility understands that we, that we, we kind of don't see ourselves all the time. Uh, if, we're, if we're emotionally healthy, we know that we have issues. <laughs> and that's why I always say, you know, um, if you're not sure, ask the person sitting next to you, do I have blind spots? Do I not see myself accurately? Do I sometimes, am I harder on others than I am about on myself for the same thing? And if they have freedom <laughs> to speak, you may not like what they have to say. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> Look at what Paul says in Romans 12, 3. He says this. He says, for the grace given to me, uh, I, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself in sober, with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So basically, Paul already says that we, we tend to error towards thinking higher of ourselves than we should. And we got to pull ourselves back. We got to have other people in our lives keep our feet on the ground because we tend to get a little bit, a little too easy forgiving of ourselves and a little too harsh with others. Look at this, the second thing. Humility also understands that we all have blind spots, we all have shortcomings. We all do. The question is, do you know what yours are? Are you, are you aware of those? Look at, uh, this is the pe classic passage that Jesus uh, gave in Matthew chapter 7. It says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when, the, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here, clearly, Jesus is saying, we all have blind spots. We all have shortcomings. And the minute that we go and judge somebody on forgiveness, when we're not a very forgiving per person, yeah, we might want to look in the mirror. And that's another thing. Many people like to take the Bible and they want to use it. You know, you've heard the phrase, Bible, you're one of those Bible thumpers. And what they mean by that is you take the Bible and you, 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 you hit people with it. You, you hit them with verses to correct them and point out their weaknesses and show them where they're wrong and, and pick at their lives. Jesus saying, you know, that's not really cool when you're doing the same thing. Here's what the Bible's meant to be. The Bible's meant to be a, a mirror. James says, the Bible's, you know, when you read the Bible, remember what you just saw about yourself. Don't walk away and forget about it because it will reveal things that you don't want to see. Things, have you looked in the mirror lately and you, you looked at your face or you looked, I don't even go to say look at your body, but you just, you just look at yourself and you go, oh boy, I got to get a different mirror. <laughs> that's, that's not showing me the way I think I, oh, I look, right? And, but that's what the Word of God will do. It'll show you things that you don't necessarily want to see. Here's the problem. 
we, instead of using the Bible, and this is what Jesus is talking about, instead of using the Bible as a mirror, we use it as binoculars. We're looking at everyone else and where they slip up and where they fall down and where they have weaknesses and where they have errors. We like using the Bible for, as binoculars, but we should take it more as a mirror. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, before you pick up the binoculars, look in the mirror. Here's another one. Humility understands that we need to listen better. Uh, Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools take no or find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Have you ever been around a person like that? You can't tell them anything. And they want to always demonstrate how smart and how wise. So I'll tell you this quick story. So this was a number of years ago. We were looking for, uh, I think it was a Christian education director, and we had a, uh, our practice was to take them out to dinner and get to know them and stuff like that. And I remember we were, it was, uh, Carol was with me and he was there and I think his wife was there and there was somebody else from the staff that was there. And um, we had an emergency at home. So Carol picked it up and she came back and she said, I said, what's up? She goes, well, and she started talking about what was going on and it was, you know, kind of a difficult thing, and, you know, it was, Carol was having a little bit of a, you know, it was one of those, okay, it was one of those parent moments where you're struggling, and the candidate, and he was, again, he was, we're, we're going to hire him for CE, Christian education and family, and he said, you think that's bad, I can top that, and it's like, really, that's really your response right now, instead of saying, Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe we should pray about it. I could top that. I said, next. <laughs> it was like, you don't have a chance now, buddy. Are you kidding me? Really? Have you met people like that? Proverbs says, feel, fools feel no, find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Humility embraces your identity, your identity in Christ. Look at what it says in John 13. Three, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. How secure was Jesus that he would get up and do a servant's task? And Jesus basically, when he sat down at the table, he says, I leave you an example. Humble yourself. Humble yourself to the point of a servant. You know, the key verse in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Are you secure enough? Are you willing to wash the feet of others? Jesus just says, I'm not going to ask you to do anything I already haven't done. Or that I'm not already doing. Are you willing to wash the feet of others that you disagree with? That may not be on your side? Are you willing to humble yourself? Second thing, so be humble. Secondly, be gentle. He says be gentle. Um, here's what I'm, I'm seeing, and I see this in Christianity, is I find, and this, I found this through the years. I don't think it's changed. I think it's, I found it ever since I've been a Christian. 
that sometimes Christians feel because they're right or because they think they're right, it's okay to be uncivil, to be mean-spirited, to be judgmental and vindictive. And their answer is, well, I'm right. Uh, Too many people, because they think they're right, they can be insensitive and demolish people with their words. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 29, 11, Fools give vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. The question is, how do you behave with others when the pressure gets on? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's it's easy to be a nice person when there's no pressure. It's hard to be uh, nice and courteous and and, um, just generally a a good person when the pressure gets on isn't it it doesn't it Uh, both the fruit of the spirit and fruit of the flesh are displayed when when, in community and usually when we're in pressure and and, and conflict so i want to talk about that for a minute paul writes some interesting and important words in galatians chapter 5 look at what he says in verse uh, 5 chapter 5 verse 19 he says the act of the flesh or the works of the flesh are obvious Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. And most of us are going, yeah, 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 man. That's, that's so true. That's so true. That, Paul's got it, man. He's all over it. He knows the bad people, the bad actions. Yeah, I'm all, you know. And then he says this. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Oh, snap. (laughs) I thought it was all those other things. Paul doesn't make a distinction. These are the really bad ones, and here's not so bad ones, somewhat acceptable if you're right, if you're angry, if you're refreshed, if if somebody pushed you or did something, it's okay to be, hey, no, he doesn't say that. He, he, he just puts the whole list and he says, here's the list. If, if, if you're behaving like this, you can know at that moment the, the Holy Spirit does not have control of your life. At that moment. You're in the middle of an argument. You're saying terrible things. No, for sure, the Holy Spirit does not have control of you right then. He may be dwelling in you, but he's got his feet and his hands off the wheel of your life. You're on your own. But then notice what it says. By the way, I give you a challenge. I challenge you to memorize this in the next month. These verses, two verses. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The real test of gentleness is what happens when the pressure's on. What kind of a person are you when the pressure's on? Paul basically says, you'll know in a minute, because the fruit of the flesh is this, dissension and anger, and but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Very different. One last, be patient. King James uses the word long-suffering. That's a good word because uh, have you ever been, you know, driving or with a little 
a, a younger person or with a, an older person and you're in a hurry and they're not and you're or you know you just it's hard to be patient it's long and it's suffering it, it's king james i think love i love that but um it's a good word proverbs 19:11 says this a person's wisdom yields patience it is to one's glory to overlook an offense it's to one's glory to overlook an offense to have patience with people it's hard to do. And by the way, you can't do this. Uh, let me ask you another question. Do you struggle with forgiving and overlooking an offense by somebody? Do you, do, you, do you struggle with that? I mean, most people do. I mean, the question is, how much do you struggle with that? I mean, do you keep a list? Do you think of things that people have done in the past and you just can't get over it? Does that, you keep mulling them in your mind? Um, because that's kind of what we're talking about here. Notice what Colossians says. Bear with each other and forgive one another if, if, if any of you have a grievance against someone. So we're, basically Paul says that we're to bear with them, we're to be patient with them, we're to forgive them, and then he adds, if, if he had ended there, we could have said, okay, I'll do my best. But then he puts that, that pesky little last line, right? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, really? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. They've, they've hurt me. They've said these things. They've done these things. I don't want to do that. It's very clear there. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. <laughs> See, that's not how we often forgive, is it? We forgive if they deserve it. We forgive if they ask for forgiveness. And basically, if they're groveling in the dirt, that's extra points. We forgive if uh, they um, just show a, a change. You know, and we, just, we just have to have them do something. But it doesn't say that. Just forgive us, Lord, has forgiven you. That's it. We, the principle is very clear. We're to forgive as we've been forgiven. And I will say this, if you have trouble forgiving people, you know why? It's because either you haven't recently re reviewed how much you've been forgiven by him, or you've never gotten to a place where you've ever come to grips with how much you've been forgiven. Because I'll tell you what, when, you've been, when you understand how much you've been forgiven, uh, forgiving others is, is, is much easier. You can do it. Because I think there are some Christians out there, and maybe I hope it's not you and I hope it's not folks listening, but they feel as though they didn't really need to be forgiven much. So they don't feel like they need to forgive much. But if you grapple with the gospel, if you if you wrestle with the idea of what Jesus has done for you and how far he went to come from heaven to earth to give his life on a cruel Roman cross, if you begin to run that around in your mind that it was your sin that put him there, if you begin un understand the God of the universe came and gave his life for you, you will understand that it wasn't a little thing, it was a huge thing, it was a big thing, it was a death thing. 
It was a sacrifice thing. And when you begin to wrestle with that, you say, okay, so it's not a little thing, it's a big thing, and it's an amazing thing, and it's an awesome thing. And I don't understand why he did it thing, and it brings me to tears thing, and it wrecks my life thing, and it, it, it gets me to a place where I go, if you need anything, you need me to forgive, or you need me to do anything, I'll do it. You say jump, I say how high. You remember, Jesus never said, he, he washes the feet, he says, do what I, you know, I, do what I've done. He forgives us and he says, do what I've done. If you're having problems forgiving, it's due to the fact you've forgotten or never really understood how much you've been forgiven. Here's the thing. Everything that I've talked about, now we're in the lab now, right? We're, we're actually in the lecture talking about the upcoming lab. Because as we leave, we're supposed to take what we're learning and we're, we're going to put it into the lab of our relationships. You can't do this on your own. It's not a matter of that you're going to try harder, you're going to, you're going to you know, bite down on your jaw hard, or you bite your tongue, or you're going to, you, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. And um, this is really important for you to understand. You can't do this. Uh, in five, chapter 5, where Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh, uh, he says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This has got to be a constant daily walk. And like I said, at any moment, you can tell if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit or if you're not. If you are showing fruit of the flesh, then it means that you are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing you need to do is drop to your knees and say, God, somehow or another, I've taken over the wheel of my life and I need to give it back over to you. And I want to acknowledge my failure here and I want to give you my life again. I want to turn it over to you and I want you to control me and guide me. And it may be that I have to go back and do some repair work. I have to ask somebody for forgiveness or I have to uh, take responsibility for things or, that I've done and make, make amends for those. But I will do that because I want your Holy Spirit to control me and guide me. See, here's, and I want to close with this. Many Christians don't understand that Christianity is a team sport. It's not an individual event. It's a team sport. And when you play a sport, like for instance, if you, if you play soccer, okay, there's, there's uh, many components to that. First, you have to learn how to play. So you have to learn the rules of the game. You have to learn how to, you know, kick the ball and head it and chest it and trap it and shoot it. And, and if you're a goalie, how to jump and how to anticipate. You have to learn the strategy and you have to learn how to play defense. And you have to learn all these things. And so sometimes you'll be sitting in a classroom and the coach will be drawing things on the board. Sometimes you'll be in the field and you'll make a move and the coach will say, stop, all right, I want you to try that again, but do it this way. You're getting instruction, individualized instruction on what you need to do. So that when you get, a, and he's going to say, if you're playing as a team, he'll say, okay, I want you, you guys to shift this way or I want you girls to do this and I, and, and you'll get the direction, and so you'll get all of that. And then you'll get into the game, and you'll actually be playing the game, right? And so you have all the lecture, you have all the instruction, you have all that going on. But you are not alone, because you're part of a team, and you have to play with the team, and you have to play with certain skills, and you have to, and if you don't do that, and you don't play your role, then the whole team suffers. And that's kind of the picture of what the New Testament talks about. 
And so when you think about relationships, think about it like that, because there are no individual soccer players in the world today. They're all on teams somewhere, and they're all playing in a game, and they all have to play with other players, and they all have to work together, and they all have to know certain skills, and they all have to demonstrate those skills, or the team will not be successful. Paul says if you have one member of the body that's hurting, it will hurt the whole body. So the Christian life is the same. We all need instruction, but we have to understand we're part of the team, the church. We need to work together for the good of everyone. We need to listen to our coach, the Holy Spirit, in the same way that you can't play soccer alone. You can't develop as a Christian alone. You can't just read a book. You can't just listen to sermons. You can't just read the Bible. Those are all important, but you can't just do that. You have to engage in community. If you're not part of community, You'll never grow to be what God designed you to be. It won't happen. It's an impossibility. In the same way that a soccer player individually can't play unless he's on a team and in a game. Lecture's over. This week, at home, at work, in your neighborhood, the store, while you're driving, relationships begin. It's tough work. Paul basically says in chapters 1, 2, 3, this is what you should know. Now he says to us, this is what you need to do with it. So we've had the lecture. We've learned about three things that could help improve our relationships. The question is, what, how is it going to make a difference in our lives this week as we engage in our communities, in our sphere of influence, whether it's the family, whether it's at school or at work or in our neighborhood, wherever it is, how are we going to be different and how are we going to be better players because we have implemented the instructions we've gotten through the Word of God and we've allowed the coach, the Holy Spirit, to direct our lives. Lecture's over. It's time to get into the game. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. You brought us together into this new community you call your church, your bride. We have, we have been called to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We are called to work through uh, forgiveness and, and patience and humility and all of these things that we so desperately need uh, in our relationship. Father, we can't do this on our own. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit within us that we can accomplish what you've called us to do. Father, use the lecture today. And as we leave this room, those that are here, and as those who are listening or watching online, as they end, the, end their time, as we end our time, may we enter into the lab. And may our relationships be better with others. May we forgive as we've been forgiven. Uh, may we have patience for people who test our patience. May we be kind to those who are unkind to us. Father, we can't do this without your Holy Spirit. May we hear and may we respond to our coach's call this week. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.